0: Hello everyone, we thank you for joining us for today's Turning Technologies webinar. Wanna let you know as you file in that you are in the right place. We're gonna allow a little bit more time for people to get in and get settled and we'll begin the presentation in about one minute. Again, we welcome those of you joining us for today's Turning Technologies webinar. Uh, Once more, just wanna let you know we're letting folks file in for another short bit. We'll get things going in about 30 seconds. Hi everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, how to create an engaging hybrid training environment sponsored by Turning Technologies. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I'll be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well amid the COVID-19 pandemic. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I wanna go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication doesn't mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey that will appear on a separate screen. We'll let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. You may also receive a link in a post-event email. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today is Catherine Stewart. Catherine is Chief Product Officer at Turning Technologies, where she specializes in leading cross-functional teams in strategy creation and execution, market research, product positioning, and change management. She brings 20-plus years of senior leadership experience in the educational publishing and technology sectors and is passionate about expounding on the content revolution at tech meetups around the Bay Area. Catherine, we thank you for being here today. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away.
1: Thank you, you, Kevin, And, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today for how to create an engaging hybrid training environment. Very excited to be here and share with you some of the things that we've learned over the past 18 to 20 months through our clients and through several of our interactions with folks that we work with. We're going to start today by talking about the state of learning today that I'm sure many of you are very much in the middle of, aware of, or trying to figure out as we move along. Prior to COVID-19 and pandemics, I think all of us read and experienced that the industry had been trending towards single source online platforms. COVID-19 came along, accelerated this change. We realized we had multiple tools out there. We realized more than ever how important it was to keep employees, learners, students, participants engaged and at the forefront of their learning environment. But what we encounter during that time is that many of those solutions out there to accommodate moving towards the virtual learning that came into play during that beginning of that pandemic were falling short. I think all of us have probably experienced a little bit of the frustration of understanding how do we how do we track and manage attendance. Attendance becoming something very different than just a checkbox on a piece of paper or within a tool. Attendance meaning, are you attending? Are you engaged? Are you there? Are you actually participating in learning? Am I, as the facilitator, getting through? Also, thinking a lot about how do we provide transparency with the learner? How do we engage the learner from a virtual standpoint, from a potentially in-person standpoint, or a combination thereof? We also saw over the course course of the last 18 months some diminished learning outcomes. What we've heard from many of our our clients at Turning is that some of the things that they used in the past were not able to be used going forward. They were trying to do things that they had always relied on, trying to scramble to incorporate new tools, new solutions, and simply finding that their participants and their learners, their students were saying, this isn't working. And at turning what we ended up doing is we actually brought folks together to talk about some of these things so that we could understand better why some of these things were falling short. After doing that, what comes along from COVID is now, as many of you are probably part of, whether you're at a workplace, whether you're at a campus, they're looking now to hybrid, a hybrid workforce, a hybrid campus, potentially all in-person, potentially not in-person, potentially 50-50. And what's happening there is some of those things that over the last, again, 18 months, folks have now come to realize needed to be changed. Now they need to be changed yet again. So what do you do? You had the traditional training enablement before COVID where you had just manual on-site recording of attendance. You had learning outcomes potentially measured by word of mouth. Sometimes folks could use different types of analytics tools to do that. But then also, it was really prior to COVID again heavily skewed towards those instructors, carrying most of that load. Instructors in the classroom, in the training environment, working with participants, making sure they were engaged, reading body language, understanding whether somebody was paying attention or not. Then when COVID came again, accelerated that need, you, people started looking for learning platforms. People run, ran out and looked at their LMSs, maybe reevaluated them, learned that potentially the LMS or the learning management system was something they could use, or maybe potentially it wasn't something they could use. Maybe they needed additional tools, such as Zoom, as we're using now, or WebEx or GoToMeeting, Microsoft Teams, All of these tools started happening. And what we heard from our clients is that during this time of reevaluation, first the COVID-19 pandemic, trying to figure out how to engage off-site learners, now the new challenge of trying to go back to the office or back to school and understanding the hybrid environment, it simply was too much for folks to absorb. And we get a lot of folks coming to us and asking, what are some of those things that can work to create that very, very effective hybrid training environment? What we like to work with folks and to help them understand is that as long as you recognize that you are having a challenge in this area, that's good because business as usual will put your business at risk. If you as a facilitator, as a trainer, as an instructor did not recognize that there was a challenge, that's actually more of a challenge than recognizing the challenges itself. We partner with a lot of teams across the organization, uh, across the industry. And a lot of these folks, you know, we took surveys, we worked with some of our uh, folks who are participants, folks who are instructors, folks who are facilitators, and got some stats that we thought were pretty interesting across the board. We heard from a lot of folks that 70% of employees say that they haven't mastered the skills they need for their jobs today. But 64% of managers don't think the employees are able to keep pace with future skill needs. It's a very interesting uh, set, of, set of percentages that we got back, again, from some of our clients we work with. And then 31% said that they can't create skill development solutions fast enough to meet the evolving skill needs. Again, going back to that, how do we handle, how do we future-proof, how do we create that, that hybrid environment? We also heard loud and clear that this becomes a barrier for growth because you have that loss of engagement, put your business at risk, and you have a loss of productivity. All of those things as a business leader, whether you're in the corporate arena, whether you're in the education arena or the higher education arena, nobody wants to see any of those things, the loss of engagement or the business risk or loss of productivity. So as you adjust, as folks adjusted, what happened with this hybrid work, workplace all these rules how do you how do you figure out who's returning to the office how do you normalize a return when someone's been gone over a year how do you make sure that people your employees your students your participants feel comfortable in that learning environment and in the workplace itself what did what did we do we then went out to several of our groups and we had some focus groups to talk about how are you meeting that new reality of the workforce dynamic? What are you doing to ensure that you have the tools and the skills and the capabilities needed to create that engaging hybrid workplace? And what was very interesting is we saw themes, five key themes that that came about after all of our discussions with both internal and external resources. And those five things are what we'll be covering in detail today because In in an interesting way, these covered all of our verticals that we were engaged with. We're engaged in the corporate arena, we're engaged in government, as well as in the higher education and the K-12 space. And these themes came across loud and clear in these are the effective themes needed to embrace in order to create that effective hybrid workplace. And I think as we go through them, you'll probably find that you recognize one or all of them And you probably are finding that you are using a lot of these themes. You might be using them here and there, but maybe not thinking about them across the spectrum. So let's dive right in and talk about these five themes and talk about how they can help you create that engaging hybrid workplace. Number one is really make it personal. Really take understand that employees will tie themselves and engage themselves to the learning in a much greater way if you actually make the content personal. What does that mean about making it personal? If you recognize that the folks in your course or your class are interested in certain things, try to tie that into the content that you're creating. Ensure that whatever tools you're using enable you to not simply use packaged content, but also enable you to be able to create your own content and add that content in, in a way that will promote that rapid uptake of competency and skill development. What we had is, is a very interesting t- statistic from two of our clients in the corporate space who told us when they actually put in simply a little bit of personalization into their, their lessons or their assessments that they were using, they found that 67, that's 67 67% of their employees got better grades were more capable of passing, and actually started asking questions within the class itself. This was in both the virtual and the in-person environment. We thought 67% was quite a high number. Uh, And again, that's from two of our clients. But very interesting stats there. And be curious if any of you have seen something similar with adding this personalization in. The The other piece of it is really when you do personalize the feedback. so thinking about how you provide the feedback to the employee, to the learner, to the student, to the participant, and think about how that feedback is personalized. Everybody feels more comfortable, feels much more engaged when you actually can personalize the feedback and and speak with somebody about it. So it's not just a number that appears. Again, going out to some of our clients and working with them, we found Uh, through engagement with them, that when they personalize the feedback, rather than simply taking uh, numbers and placing them, let's say, into an LMS or just sending an Excel sheet, etc., what they found is they found that their subjects were actually much more engaged at, I'm looking at my notes here, so excuse me, uh, at 47%, 47% more engaged, which we thought was a great number, again, from a couple of clients we worked with. And just from that personalization of the feedback, they were able to increase the engagement level and the interest in the course itself. And then lastly, thinking about creating scenario-based lessons to immerse the learner. So scenarios, if you're choosing any tools or if you're simply just writing or, or writing your courses or you're putting them into an assessment format, think about a scenario. So if you're working with a group of electricians, you're working with a group of construction workers, or if you're working with uh, folks who are at nuclear power facilities, those folks probably don't want to see a. a scenario-based lesson that is based on somebody who is selling ice cream uh, at the mall. So what you want to do is think about how do I place that personalization in there, make the subject matter relevant, and at the same time create scenarios where they have to make a decision. If I choose X, then Y. If I choose Y, then Z, etc. Again, looking at some statistics there, and these are quite incredible, 92%, 92% uh, in efficacy Increasement for the Outcomes of Learners Who Are Engaged with Scenario-Based Lessons this from the majority of our clients in the corporate space, as well as the higher education space, finding that scenario based lessons gave them that 92% increased efficacy, really uh, exciting there and something to remember. And then lastly, if you do have tools such as VR at your disposal, just to, using things that can help immerse the student or the learner in a scenario or in a personalized lesson, very very important. Next up, really blending it your way. So a lot of folks we work with came to us and said, "What do you recommend? What's that ratio that we should have to have the interactivity, to have the on-site, the off-site? What do you what do you, what do you tell us? What should we do?" And really, what we tell them is the same thing you just saw on the slide about the personalization is. There are, it depends on the audience, you as the instructor, you as the facilitator, you know your audience, you know who you're working with, you know who you're, tr- you're helping to learn or get to that next level or achieve new skills and development. And we can't simply give you a formula to tell you what's going to work. So there's no magic formula, despite what you read, that, oh, I should do 80% this and 20% that, and et cetera, et cetera. But what we did find across the way is that if you follow what you know as an instructor, as a facilitator, if you follow what you know about your audience and you blend it and mix things up in the way in which you think is the best for your class, that will work. When you deviate and try to follow another formula or someone else's formula, it can be it it cannot have the same outcome. And again, we worked with some of our clients and found that exact same piece that we had 84% of our clients who blended the learning their own way, meaning they used their own type of audience engagement. They did the live or the self-paced assignments, asynchronous or synchronous their own way, chose their own types of reporting and integrated tool sets. They mixed it up in their own way they achieved some spectacular results, as opposed to those who really did go in and we had some statistics from some, some learning uh, groups, which I'm happy to provide to you uh, in the follow-ups. Uh, they followed those, those mixes and, and did not achieve that same success. that 16% did not. So what we came away from is again, looking for tools that are going to enable you to instruct those live audiences, as well as remote audiences, or to assign that self-paced learning from a central hub Number one, meaning you're not going to go to a bunch of different tools that are scattered. You're gonna go through one central hub to get to those tools that are the tools you know work well. You're also going to think about your audience engagement and again, blend that live class or the self-paced assignments with interactive assessments and virtual learning in the way you think your students, your participants need it. And then reporting, reporting very important. We'll talk a little more about that in a moment. But reporting needs to be focused on that performance and the engagement results at the individual class assignment and course level. Meaning you 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 shouldn't only have reporting at one level. You need to be looking for tools that offer that reporting at different levels so that you as an instructor, you as a facilitator can provide that personalized feedback that we talked about in the prior slide in a meaningful way to your participants. And then lastly, again, integrated tool sets. Any tools you're working with should seamlessly plug in if you have an LMS or an LXP, or some sort of custom solution, sometimes even your HR solution. Those tools that you're working with should plug into that so that you, again, do not have to stress and go to multiple different groups. Next up we saw, in a theme I think we can all relate to, really give them a break. What we saw is that If you are providing courses that are one hour or 90 minutes in length, every 20 minutes, learners need some sort of stimuli that's greater than simple lecture. And what does that mean? It means every 20 minutes, you need to break up the lecture. And this, again, is for 60 minutes to 90 minutes. And this is from a very uh, well-known study that you absolutely have to break up that lecture every 20 minutes and it can be through assessments it can be through quick polling you know if you take a quick poll and think about it you know keep folks from multitasking it can be for from calling on students can, or participants or it can simply be through getting them to interact in a different way in breakout rooms or other other stimuli but every 20 minutes and this i think was something that what we found is prior to the pandemic with our clients we used to really preach the every 20 minutes you must do this and what we heard from our clients is well we don't really need to follow that because we're we're in person we see you know we see the body language we understand what's going on we don't need that breaking up of the environment but as things moved into covid and now again to the hybrid space where you might have some people online and some people in the classroom this has become something we hear time and time again is one of the single most important pieces to follow when you are setting up the hybrid workplace or learning environment or that hybrid classroom, uh, the hybrid campus learning environment, making certain that you are breaking things up in that every 20 minutes, if you're an hour, hour and a half. Another piece is employing all the levels of interactivity, meaning if you're doing the assessments and you're doing interactivity as that breakup, then what you want to think about is there's some passive ways to do that, there's limited, there's moderate, and there's completely fully immersive. You don't simply want to have all levels of interactivity be the same in those breakups. So if every 20 minutes you're providing a passive interactive, I think, you know, we can all say, gee, that's going to to be a little bit boring. Maybe people might lose their engagement. But if you mix it up, again, doing things a little bit differently, following your lead as that instructor, as that facilitator, you know your audience, mix it up, provide different levels, folks will be very, very engaged. And then prioritize application when you're thinking about the breaks, meaning use that interactivity that you're employing to demonstrate core concepts and improve long-term retention. So as you're putting that interactivity in there and giving them a break, make sure that you are thinking about how do you demonstrate those core concepts within the break to keep the, the folks learning even though it's a break, as I say. And then lastly, always assess activate, you know, your audiences with the quizzes and the live results and screen sharing and whiteboarding, but always assess, assess in the moment. So as you are providing those breaks, you're walking through all those different levels of interactivity, you're doing these things, make sure you're assessing and let's say reading the room, whether it be virtual or whether it be in person. Absolutely important that you find tools that do that and that you're able able to do that. This one surprised us, and I'll I'll be honest with you, Uh, a theme that came through for us uh, and that we found is very effective uh, in helping our clients set up these hybrid environments is is really humoring and adding a bit of laughter into any of your scenarios, any of your interactivity, uh, helping folks, you know, just at least take a little bit of a smile break, right? And we, we started to really do a lot of research in this area and contributed to some articles around a theory called a relaxed alertness. So relaxed alertness occurs after you have relaxed a learner to create a more receptive learner. And relaxed alertness is where a learner can actually start to experience a low threat, but they're open to the high challenge. So what happens when a learner is in a relaxed alert state it means that they are—they have that foundation for taking the risks and thinking, questioning, and experimenting, which is exactly where you want your learners to be. And some of these things that you can do with the humor, a lot of times we see uh, with our clients, they might want to open with a little bit of an icebreaker, uh, question a poll or something along those lines, where they can relax those learners. And they might add some funny questions in there that will cause people to say you know, some, some funny answers. And the chatter will start. And we've been, just so everyone understands, we've been some observers on some of these these, these uh, research projects. And we've seen that really what truly happens is classes that were very quiet in the beginning, maybe there was no chatter, people were reluctant to ask questions. They were simply you know, f- paying attention or potentially multitasking. Maybe they were buying shoes on Amazon while they were listening virtually. Uh, or even in the classroom folks, maybe were what would be called zoning out. When you are relaxing the learner, they feel as if the pressure is off, they become more open. And going back to that first slide about personalization, if you personalize it and you humor them, that relearner is in the what we'd call the ultimate state of relaxed alertness. And it's a very, very effective way of getting those learners who are both in the virtual and the in-person state to participate together in an equalized fashion and also get those outcomes that that you would like to see as that instructor or as that facilitator. But the overarching thing, of course, is to use humor wisely. And you want to be certain that you are using humor to simplify those concepts. So you certainly don't want to use humor let's say to put a cartoon in front of somebody that might be a difficult one to interpret. What you wanna do is you wanna use it to simplify the concepts. Again, relax folks, you don't want them to be stressed. You do wanna use it to demonstrate those key takeaways, but you also ultimately do not wanna distract from your core training objective. So don't go too far off and, and start you know being where you're off the track and going down another path, but definitely keep that humor part of it and, and just throw it in a little bit and see, because again, and, and certainly feel free to Google relaxed alertness. Uh, it's very interesting and we're, we're very excited about that. We think it's a, an important part of any hybrid learning environment. And then of course metrics, uh, across all verticals we've seen you know metr- metrics do matter. And again, back to that slide about personalization, metrics do matter but they matter in the sense that you want to be certain that they are personalized. So establish those baselines, be very clear what the baselines are, and be very certain that all the folks who you are measuring understand what the baselines are. Don't jump to conclusions. This is a, this is a, a key one here because we've seen as at turning, we've done a lot of work with groups in the uh, AI space uh, artificial intelligence space, and we are doing some POCs with them. And what's been very interesting is that a lot of folks do, let's say, jump to a conclusion about AI. And the reason I bring that up is we jumped to conclusion about AI when we were working with some of our groups. And we thought, wow, this, this is not going to be something we maybe want to go down or, or discuss because it could possibly be something where people are not going to feel comfortable with uh, the results or the outcomes from working uh, using AI. But what was interesting is as we got in and we started to really work deeply with these groups, we realized that AI actually is quite uh, logical and interesting, and there's a lot of potential there. When I apply that same way of thinking to thinking about the metrics and thinking about how your learners are engaged with the content and what they are actually you know, absorbing and doing. And if you see things, you see trends through those metrics, you wanna make sure you speak with your learners. You wanna make certain that you, you talk with them and understand maybe the content is not engaging, maybe the content isn't reaching them. And again, going back to breaking things up, giving folks a bit of, of break during every 20 minutes, you can assess that, right? You can assess how things are actually performing how your lecture's performing, you can assess how your assessments are actually performing, and really understand that pulse of all of your learners in the class or in the session if you do that breakup. So again, don't jump to conclusions based on certain metrics. And then be patient. Being patient is something we've heard from our clients is probably the most difficult thing. I think when we first went into the pandemic, we heard from most of our clients that Again, things weren't working. They weren't working the way that they'd always been working and they needed our help. They, they wanted to know what we could do to help them get things back on track from a learner perspective. And we encouraged everyone to be patient. Be patient, try something, but it's not going to change overnight. Sometimes, let's say in the case of humor, you might see an immediate uh, result, but some of the statistics that I mentioned earlier from some of these studies that we've done with, with our clients those have been long-term projects over the past 18 months. They are certainly not statistics that we would pull from, from one or two sessions. We've really been going and working with groups for at least 14 of these 18 months. And every day, we still you know, look at these results. We look at things, we tally them, we review them, we discuss them, and we make sure we're not making assessments that are based on you know quick judge or or anything like that. So very important, again, and it's also important to help you under, help the learner understand that the learner also should be patient. Change won't happen overnight. Maybe a learner was great in the classroom, but they were, they're were they challenged by the virtual scenario. So it's okay, you can work with the learner, help the learner understand some the ways in which they can improve, it's okay. Patience is, is definitely here, something that is a theme throughout. And then defining those effective outcomes. I'll say that this seems like something that you hear probably quite a bit. Everyone thinks, well, we do have effective outcomes. Well, through our surveys that we've done, we've found that a lot of learners, and I say a lot, um, I will give you a stat here. It's 52%. 52% of the learners we have spoken with said that they were not clear what an effective outcome was for their courses, for their classes, uh, for their sessions. And I think that's important when you think about it from a perspective of the virtual space, which is challenging in its own, but then when you bring in both the virtual and the in-person and you create the hybrid space, it's even more important that your learners have an effective outcome that's defined and that you look at those outcomes across all the different industries You weigh those against your organizational goals, potentially against your class goals, your personal goals, depending on the type of course you're teaching, and then also make certain that those outcomes are defined and that they are visible. What we heard from folks in our surveys is that it's great to hear about it at the beginning of a session, but what they really would like is they'd like to see those outcomes visible throughout a course, throughout a session, throughout Anything that they're doing so that they always are able to tie back to those outcomes and understand exactly what it is that they need to do. And then basing the goals off results. Very, very important to understand that the outcomes are actually something that you can use to improve the learning objectives and the content. I think folks sometimes forget about that uh, in the haste, let's say, at the end of either a semester or end of a session, but it's important it's important to make sure that you're able to use those outcomes to improve the learning objectives and the content. And again, what we've heard from a lot of folks we work with is that it's been a very hectic time over the last 18 months. And that sometimes some of these things that maybe were those foundations of the programs in the past are no longer things that they were able to do because they were very caught up in some of these other pieces. So in sum for these, what we really want to make sure that you you understand is that to create that effective hybrid learning environment, you want to think about a few things. You want to think about centralizing your learning operations. So having that single source, think about again, you don't want to go out and have multiple modalities that you're attempting to access. You don't want to have tools over here and over there and over there and ultimately you certainly don't want to have tools that don't deliver to your learning management system or to your lxp or or your erp whatever group that you have you want to make certain that you've got a centralized spot to do that and that everything is really i'll throw a word out is is as well as interconnected you want to follow those five ideas we just talked about you really want to think about the personal approach Again, think about if you're in a course or you're teaching a course, how you will feel. Again, that relaxed sense of alertness if somebody creates a much more personal either learning path or learning environment for you. You wanna blend things up. So again, don't think that there's a special formula for blending outside of the fact that you know who you are teaching, you know who you're instructing, you know what might work best and it might take time. Again, back to being patient you might need to try a couple of approaches before it actually gets gets right. Interludes, so you wanna make certain again every 20 minutes if you're in an hour, 60 minutes or, or an hour and a half, every 20 minutes at least you wanna break things up and you could do that in a variety of ways. You can use assessments, you can, you can use simple polls or you can certainly just call on folks and, and or do breakout rooms. Um, Breakout rooms being actually quite effective, we found. um, But one of the the points I'll bring up about a breakout room is that you do want to be sure that you as the instructor are able to move between those breakout rooms should you decide to use breakout rooms in a virtual sense or even in an in-person way of being. Humor, again, keep folks focused on the actual core learning objectives, but thinking again of a relaxed alertness, You want to relax the learner, you want the learner to be able to enjoy the experience of learning, you want the learner to relate to it through that personal way, and to also again see some different types of learning through blended approaches, and then the same through interludes. And then lastly, progress, progress, thinking about the metrics, how are you communicating progress to your learners? Are they simply logging in and seeing something? Are you as the instructor speaking with with the learner? Are you sitting down with them either face-to-face or virtual? Uh, One of the things we've seen, very effective method here, is creating a, let's say, an office hours type approach where either virtually or in person, you devote once a month 15 minutes to speaking minimally, 15 minutes uh, speaking with your learner and helping them understand where they are. And then of course, always having that open door uh, policy, whether it be virtual or or in person. Very important to to do that. And then thinking about how you define that progress. How is a learner going to know upfront from the start of the class or the course of the session, what you and the learner should think of as success, and what are those outcomes that everyone is trying to achieve? And then how regularly will you be reporting on the outcomes? And where can the learner see those outcomes throughout the session, the course, or within the the, the gist of the entire year if it's a longer, longer training session? And I think that the, from a progress standpoint, those are the types of things that you, you need to look at, but you also need to look at whether or not you as the instructor are able to manipulate the data yourself. And what I mean by manipulate the data, we found from talking with folks that, while they appreciate, let's say, canned reports that can come with some systems and solutions, what their instructors really appreciated is when they're able to, let's say, export some data, take a look at that data uh, and, and really put it into a format that maps to the outcomes they're trying to achieve, as well as provide it to the learner in in a way that that makes the most sense. So I think again, you're gonna wanna look for options there with that hybrid environment, making certain that you do have some canned reports in any system that you're putting together, any environment, as well as making certain that you have that ability to manipulate the data and provide it in a way that that makes sense to, to you and for the learner. And Lastly, thinking about you know, how do you develop that world-class hybrid learner experience, thinking about a suite of tools. I, I always like to tell folks there is no magic tool. No one tool can do everything. It'd be great if it could, uh, but, but it can't. Uh, there, there are ways to facilitate having a single platform to pull tools in, but you should be thinking about as you pull together your suite of tools, what are those things that can achieve the personal, blended, interlude, humor, and progress pieces? How do those five things get solved by pulling tools together? And ultimately, how do they get solved by not having to open multiple tools in order to achieve results? Very important to do that. And then thinking about the tools that you have in place already at your organization, whether they be Human resource tools, whether they be LMSs or LXPs or something else. You might sometimes, folks, you know, use Slack or Microsoft Teams or any of those types of things like Discord, some folks use. Uh, how how do those fit in to your learner strategy? And what we like to, to do for some of our clients in the world class learner experience area is a lot of times we will provide. We'll come in and we'll we'll take a look at the situation and say, okay, here's what here's what you guys have. We do some interviews with folks and we'll go through that and then we'll map out what we think would be the best learning ecosystem for that organization. And we like to do this for a few reasons, right? Number one, we we love learning and we love to help folks enable learning at all levels. And number two, it's a great experience for not just us, but also for folks who who are employing us to do so. So I'd like to to just really touch a little bit on that, that when was the last time, as you can just think in your mind, that you did take stock in all of the tools that you have at your disposal for learning and engagement? And thinking even just about post-it notes and whiteboards, those physical tools, as well as the virtual tools, We've, we've worked with some folks where what we come up with is there, there can sometimes be a list of 50 or 60 different tools. And as you dive deep into that and you look at it, you start to realize, do we need those 50 to 60 tools? And then how do those 50, 60 tools map back again to the five, the personal, the blended, the interludes, the humor and the progress? How does that, how do those tools map back to that? And how do you get to where you really have a t- one tool that works with a platform. And then that platform might have some other tools with it, but you're not accessing 50 or 60 tools separately. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And it's something that I'd say I would encourage you to do uh, with your own organization if you have a chance. Uh, sit down and really sometimes it's fun, you know, we like to tell folks just ask your management team or ask the folks who are responsible for training. Just let's let's do a quick uh, whiteboarding exercise. Name all the things that you use to help train your teams, and give folks you know ten minutes to do that. And it's interesting what you'll come up with because there may be tools that, quite frankly, you don't even know are being used in the organization. Um, and so we would encourage you to do an exercise like that. Really look to pare down your tools. Think about it more in terms of a in terms of a platform, maybe one or two platforms that incorporate tools, integrate, and then move move you into a situation where you're able to provide things through a centralized source. And I think actually we are at uh, an early end. Um, so I'd am I'm I'd like to thank everybody for coming and I'll turn it back to you, Kevin, if there's any questions.
0: Certainly, no. Well, excellent. Great job, Catherine. Thanks for your, your insights and expertise. Uh, before we do start that Q&A, just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete The survey will open in a different screen after this presentation. We really appreciate your input. Um, It'll help us improve future webcasts. And again, we thank you for taking that extra time to offer feedback. Um, Once more, a reminder, if you wish to ask a question of Catherine today, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen, type your question, and click the Send button. And with that, we will get to some questions. Um, First one says, just in regards to the training, what's a realistic compliance goal percentage-wise?
1: A realistic, so that is, that's an excellent question. And I will say it sometimes it does vary by industry. And the reason I say that is we've, we've worked with a variety of industries and we found that some folks, a realistic compliance goal is really right now hovering around that 63%, six, three, that's about an average there is 63%. And that's not a very good number. I I will say that. Um, But 63% is about where we think it's realistic. What we encourage folks to do is to really try to boost that number up into the 86%. Uh, get from 62 up to 86 because we believe that's possible and we've done that with some of our clients, but it really depends on some, some of the things you have at your disposal and really understanding you know the environment that you're, you're working in.
0: Before the next question, we have someone, uh, an attendee, commenting, to saying that they they like the concept. So, just FYI on that. Thank you. Um, next question uh, asks: Can you give an example of using humor to engage the audience? <laughs>
1: uh, certainly, I can, and I I will uh, I'll give you an example from a group we worked with, which we thought they did a very very uh, effective effective job. We worked with a construction industry group. Um, and they were doing a, a, a course on safety. And it was for folks who were new to a construction site. And one of the things that they did is they actually had, um, they had, I don't wanna say, I wanna call them old time movies, but they had a, a, a gentleman by the name of, I think was Harold Lloyd. It was a, a black and white movie where he was on a construction site and they sort of showed a little clip from the movie and then what they did is they asked folks uh, to name three things uh, from the movie that from that clip that pertained to what they had experienced at one point in their life. And some of those things that came through were things such as uh, folks said, well, you know, I think there was a, a scene where he uh, he was hitting himself with a, a board or something like that by accident. He stepped on a banana peel or something. And and somebody, you know, shared with them an experience that they um, they had done something similar. They had been uh, at a construction site, and they actually came from the site into, I guess, the trailer where there was supposed to be some lunch and a meeting. And there was some stuff on the floor, and they it was like lettuce or something, and they fell. And they shared the story, and everybody laughed. So you know, it's a little bit of humorous uh, thing there where people were able to laugh at themselves as well as understand that, you know, accidents can happen, but safety obviously is, is of utmost concern and, and you want to understand how to how to prevent that. So I actually, I'll have to say, I'll have to look up the movie. I'll ask our client uh, exactly what it was, but I do believe it was a Harold Boyd movie where there was a construction. They were on some sort of a beam or something. It's pretty funny.
0: Next one asks, is it advisable and what are your thoughts about the prospect of giving them a quiz before the start of the training to determine the level of knowledge that they have about the topic?
1: I love that question, and I love that thinking. Uh, We've seen that be very effective to do that. The only place we've seen it not be quite so effective is we do a lot of work with some, um, I'd say, uh, we'll just say the, the JROTC, Uh, and uh, they they said that they don't they don't particularly like to do that prior it's not been effective there Uh, but in every other space very effective and what we hear from instructors is that it helps set the tone for the session as well as the course or the class and they really enjoy doing that the key I think you want to do is we hear keep it short Uh, generally it's a five questions we've heard really is the maximum you want to ask folks because you don't want folks thinking oh my gosh I'm taking a test beforehand Um, and then secondly what you want to do is you want to think about how in advance do you want to do that do you want to do it a week prior to something starting do you want to do it right there as you get into the class Uh, what we've seen is when folks do it uh, up to two days prior to the start of a course that it has been very effective sometimes when you do it in the class not quite as effective
0: You mentioned near the beginning of the presentation, the use of VR. Uh, Have you used VR for training and how did it go?
1: I also love this question. VR is something we are exploring in great detail. We've been looking into, there are some cameras out there I'll I'll share with you uh, that will you're able to do almost like a 360 VR view uh, that exports as an MP4 and that is viewable with either a headset or not a headset. We're currently working with a couple of electrical power groups to do some things on disaster preparedness with VR and we're in a proof of concept with a couple of them and I'm very excited about it. I think the potential for VR is great. I know a few years ago you know, everybody said VR, VR, VR and then everyone found out wait VR you've got to buy all these headsets and they're expensive and it's difficult to get the technology but now with some of these cameras that that you can buy we're seeing across the board a lot of medical manufacturers, and a lot of uh, like electrical unions, et cetera. Those folks are really looking to this for a disaster preparedness scenarios. They're purchasing these cameras, and they're really wanting to, again, immerse those learners in in certain st- scenarios. We also work a lot with the military and we're seeing that there too. So yes, we're very involved with VR, and we're, we're excited about it.
0: Before the next question, we're going to give a shout out to an attendee, uh, Laureen. Uh, she might be saving you some work, Catherine. She believes that the movie that you're referring to might be Safety Last. Um, that is it.
1: Yes. Thank you.
0: Not so much from the, from the early 20s, but I'm, I'm a, I enjoy some movies myself. I just got on the IMDb, and yes, it it matches up. A boy a boy leaves this small country town and heads to the big city to get a job. As soon as he makes it big, a sweetheart will join him and marry him enthusiasm to get ahead leads to some interesting adventures. So the, the scene you're talking about probably would, would fit the bill.
1: That is it, you did save me some work from going back to our client, thank you.
0: Um, next question, the attendee says, I do a lot of new hire orientation, training people for the first time in WebEx, etc. So using a whiteboard or poll takes a lot of prep time and we can't do pre-learning assessments. So just with that, how do you balance using engagement activities online with a new learner's familiarity with the blended platform.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I think uh, you are correct. Sometimes those things do take a lot of of prep time, and I think what we found is you can do some on the fly polling uh, through some tools uh, that that are out there in the market. Um, just throw a little pitch in. We we do we do have some some tools Turning does that that do uh, on the fly polling, which addresses some of the concerns you're you're speaking of, sort of as you're in a course or you're in something and you, just, you you haven't prepared anything, but suddenly the moment seems right to do an on-the-fly poll, you can do that. And we found that that actually is one of the best ways to get over that, that hump of the whole thing with the whiteboards, et cetera. Um, the whiteboarding, I, I find interesting uh, in the sense that, again, you're right, it takes a little bit of training. What we found works though sometimes is you just do a session where you actually have, um, you don't do all the prep. What you do is you say, this is just going to be a session to learn the platform. Let's get in and we're just going to have a little bit of fun. And what we've done is we've actually led folks through situations where you go into the breakout rooms with whiteboards and what they can do is they can upload a photo or upload what have you and they they need to complete just a very quick uh, thing such as everyone needs to doodle. So we do a little bit of humor there, right? Everyone needs to doodle their name or everyone needs to add a, a PowerPoint and uh, you know doodle on the PowerPoint. Those kinds of things we found really uh, help uh, if you just do a quick, sometimes 15, 20 minute session of we're just going to learn the platform, have a little bit of fun, and get you ready. And and I'll say, um, and I'm going to throw it out to you, Kevin, as a, as a thank you. That's exactly what NSC did here with the with the webinar as we got on, and uh, I I got to experience things early, so that uh, we didn't have any glitches, and I felt much less uh, stressed.
0: Oh, absolutely, no, yeah, no. Shout out to Jean and Isadora and and Alan and Barry, and we know we appreciate it with, uh, with our, our webinar team. Um, next question is, is asking if you wouldn't mind Catherine to backtrack a little bit. Uh, attendee indicates uh, they're having some technical difficulties and seeing if you could maybe re- review um, some of your answers to the earlier VR question.
1: Um, sure. Um, so we, we are definitely, we're working uh, with VR. What we're doing is we've, we've partnered with a couple of groups or clients of ours who are in the electrical uh, power industry, and we're doing some disaster preparedness POCs with them. And what we're doing is we're using uh, the cameras that they actually have purchased for their management. And they're their cameras where you can do VR, you can export them as an MP4, and you can view them almost as a, you know, like a video. And you can either view them with a headset or not with a headset. And uh, so in other words, you can use those goggles or not use the goggles. And they're really focused on disaster preparedness. Uh, we're very excited to be doing that. We're seeing across the board some of our other clients in the union area uh, doing this, uh, and as well as uh, some in the construction industry as well. A lot of folks really just focused on the, what we're seeing, again, is disaster preparedness, and then also in the medical space, pharmaceutical space, seeing a lot there too with VR a few years ago, you know, of course, everybody said VR, VR, you know, it's the next thing. And I think, you know, when people figured out that they, they had to buy goggles and all this other equipment, it, it really wasn't the thing. Um, but now what we're seeing across the board is, is companies are really starting to invest in VR and starting to understand that it can be a great tool for learning as long, again, as you don't want to abuse it, right? You don't want to have too many things all VR and where we're seeing it the most use right now is in disaster preparedness. But then again, we're also working with the military and we see it there too, um, in, in some different capacities, more on a training uh, way there. But on the um, on the, just the corporate front, it's mostly disaster preparedness right now. And we're excited. We're excited about VR. I'm excited about VR. I'm, I'm glad it's finally coming into its own.
0: Stan, in that realm, uh, next question. Asks, do you find preparation and presentation uh, virtually requires more effort by the presenter than in-person training?
1: Absolutely. If I if I said no, I think uh, I think you should you guys should, should definitely say wow she doesn't know what she's talking about and I'm going to say absolutely it takes more time uh, because you're thinking about how do I how do I want to engage and how do I want to engage sometimes you're able to see people, sometimes you're not, obviously depends on the the vertical you're in and and the the things that that you're doing. And then you also have to be thinking about, are people actually engaged? Are they really paying attention? Or again, are they buying shoes on on Amazon? And how how do I engage folks virtually without seeming as if I'm constantly calling folks out? And I think that's we we heard from our clients. I probably should have mentioned it earlier, that uh, one of the things that they say is they felt in the beginning as if they were they were parents constantly having to call out uh, the folks attending their virtual courses, because they didn't know whether or not people were paying attention. They didn't know whether they were you know really engaged, and they felt as if it was very frustrating because they couldn't get through. That again, I'll go back to that on-the-fly polling. Uh, we have heard again from a lot of folks that that's been a very good thing is when you just inject a quick poll that's fun and on-the-fly doesn't take a lot of prep kind of kind of helps. But uh, certainly across the board, preparing for virtual, much more challenging because there are many things you have to think about. And that's when you, if you throw in the hybrid p- part as well, you got some people in a classroom, some people out of a classroom. It creates that that dynamic of how do I make sure I'm getting through to everybody, and I'm doing it in a way again that doesn't seem as if I'm calling everybody out, but yet I'm engaging people.
0: Next question asks just what what you might suggest or what your thoughts are about presenting a short video clip of a recent accident related to a collapse of a building being constructed and something that was featured on the the early morning news. Uh, can that maybe help engage the learners and? Determining the lapses, violations, or shortcomings of of a company, uh, and so forth.
1: Yeah, I, I think it can. I think um, I think we we've seen uh, showing you know, recent media events can be can be good from our clients. One of the things we hear, though, again, you need to know your your learners. You need to understand whether or not there's anything in there. Again, thinking about we don't don't want anything that's uh, going to emotionally upset uh, any of the folks in the class. Uh, so there's a little bit of judgment there and understanding but um, yeah I think um, there was something one of our clients used uh, there was a an implosion of a building that was being done I don't remember exactly when I'm sorry this was about six months ago they uh, they were using that in their course and it had been on the news I guess it hadn't gone quite well and it was actually a, a class on on how to how to manage a site uh, security around a site uh, that is having a building implosion and they showed it and they said it went quite well with their with their class so i think you have to just assess the situation but certainly you know anything usually that's uh in the times goes over quite well
0: next question uh, kind of pertaining to again to current events just how have you seen other clients pivot during covid and what are they doing now
1: yeah so we've seen We've seen clients uh, pivot into a virtual setting, and we've seen some that have not gone so well, and some that have gone well. So, on the not gone so well, uh, usually is when folks are, are trying to impose maybe some very strict uh, guidelines of uh, things such as you know you must have your webcam on for you know 20 minutes uh, and must be staring into the webcam for X amount of time. We've heard some negative things about that from our clients. Again, uh, you know, this is a, just experience uh, working with folks. What we've seen go well is where people pivot to the virtual, and they offer again both that synchronous virtual, virtual as well as an asynchronous. So when they're able to a- allow their students or their learners to partake in a live class, but then they also offer things that are asynchronous. And especially if a learner can have access to a recording of that virtual class, that I would say is hands down, what we hear from our clients is the number one thing that helps learners because inevitably if you've lost engagement or et cetera, what you want is you want your learners to be able to access the material and be able to see it again and review it and then use it and ask questions later on. So having that recording is very important.
0: So a reminder, everyone, we still do have a, a couple of minutes here with Catherine, so uh, we appreciate the volume of questions. If, if you still might have one on the brain, uh, click that Q&A button at the bottom of the screen, type your question and click send. Um, next one is asking about um, something that the turning offers. It's uh, How does Dojo 360 help with compliance and regulatory aspects of training?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So Dojo 360 is, is one of our, our tools, our, our learning engagement platform that we offer that does, it is a blended learning solution. Uh, what we do uh, there with the uh, certification and badging, we do work with uh, some of the larger LMSs to enable uh, the certification and the badging. You can take the courses and you can either do it through a pass-fail or you can issue a, a grade depending on uh, whether or not you're graded or whether you're pass-fail. And you're able to then get a certification through uh, the LMS or the the um, HR system that you're using. So I'd say Georgia 360 uh, is a great option for folks who want to do blended learning. Uh, and if you're interested, we do, you know, we're able to, to offer free trials for everybody. Everybody here would get an extended free trial, but we are... Um, we're excited about that and uh, have seen some great things happen with, with uh, virtual learning scenarios and blended learning scenarios with, with Dojo 360.
0: And we're getting, we're getting one more follow up on that. Uh, asking just in, in what ways are, are is this Dojo 360 different than Zoom or Microsoft Teams? Mm-hmm.
1: So we, we play nicely with uh, Microsoft Teams. So we, we work with Microsoft Teams. We're actually a Microsoft partner. Um, so Microsoft Teams is really a chat and a quick, let's say quick meeting. Uh, sort of platform of Dojo 360 is a virtual learning tool platform. So what happens is you can you can use Microsoft Teams and you can use Dojo 360 and they can work together very nicely. You want to just chat through Microsoft Teams, but you want to actually do your learning through Dojo 360. Uh, with Zoom, very different as well. Uh, with Zoom, you're going to get obviously polls and things like that. But with Dojo 360, the, you can use your own PowerPoint and it's actually integrated into Dojo 360, so all the analytics, everything that you get from people answering those polls or people answering the assessments or the quizzes or the word clouds or any of those things, that's all embedded within the tool itself, and then you can export that and or push it directly to your LMS.
0: Well, as we as we do wind down, uh, Catherine, you, you've been quite thorough. Uh, anything left unsaid as, as we wrap up today?
1: I just, again I want to thank everyone for joining uh, very excited to to be here and thank especially NSC as well for allowing us to to provide this and wish everybody well on on their their learning journey and uh, creating their courses and their hybrid environments it's a challenging time in, in in the space but at the same time it's an exciting time it's a very historical time and I think there's a lot of great things out there happening and want to commend everybody for for doing what you do so thank you
0: well, no, we, we thank you in turn. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time today. Uh, sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but uh, any unanswered questions will be forwarded on to, to Catherine. Uh, once more, we hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey and provide your feedback. Uh, with that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Catherine Stewart, everyone at Turning Technologies, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.